0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe or why you believe it. It is a podcast where we just dedicate ourselves to the journey that we're on in this frontier between knowing and not knowing and in discovery. My name is Nathan Whitaker.
1: My name is Ryan Harris.
0: So today we're going to be talking about another question along the same lines of some of the questions we've been asking, which is... Do we need doctrine? I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark and say that the de facto answer for all Christian churches is yes.
1: Not just yes, hell yes,
0: right? Which Pun intended. In this case, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, to ask the question whether you need doctrine seems a bit strange. So why are we asking that question? I'm going to take credit for this
1: idea because it was mine to have this this topic um, and I need adulation. And uh, no, anyway, um, <laughs> I think this question is important to me, partly because it kind of flowed out of the last two things we did, but, but also because for me, doctrine, like having right doctrine was the thing that was the most important, right? Like you go to seminary to learn the right doctrine so you can, as a pastor, teach the right doctrine. Right. And and people who have different doctrine than you, well, you always got to make that determination of like, is this okay? are they really Christians or are they not? You know, yeah. The question was like, if they don't disagree or if they do disagree with you on on matters of doctrine, it's like, well, are they really Christians? And, and the way to answer that depended on what they disagreed with you about. Right. And there was this whole hierarchy of like these things at the top, you gotta to agree to be a Christian. And then these things as the list goes down, maybe or maybe not. Although I will say that though there was a lot more things at the top than there were at the, you know, usually for um like for me growing up, the idea was what's a good one. Um, you know, I don't know, like there was there was some room, but not a lot. Right. This is why, like, uh, in when I was a kid, they backed off it. Now we've talked about this before, but there was always this idea of like, are Catholics really Christians? Because they do Mm, all these things that we think is very bad, you know,
0: like pray to Mary. Yeah. Mary Saints, even though that's uh, not what they do. But right. Right. But that
1: but that was that's a great example, because that was one of those things that that's really, really important. And that's really, really wrong. So, you know. So that's, that's kind of where that was. And, and so that brings up the question of, you know, where, how did, not really, well, partly how does doctrine work, but more of, you know, we've built our entire religious identities on doctrine, right? So Pentecostals come from, they have their distinctive doctrine of, you know, baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and that sort of thing. And that's why they exist as a separate community. And I don't. I'm not going to use that to say that that's you know in and of itself always bad but I do wonder if that's the way it has to be you know so that's that's kind of where this topic came from
0: Yeah when I think of the question itself um doctrine measures two things it measures the point which you become hellbound
1: uh right Which is an important thing to know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And second, forgive my crudeness, it measures uh, one's theological dick. Um, The bigger knowledge base that you have and the the more uh, closely aligned to certain theologies you are, the better Christian you are.
1: Which is why uh, seminaries are so full of guys who are very insecure about that. But, you know, that's, uh, that's a separate it, issue.
0: I was one of those guys. Well, so was boy.
1: I in, in the early days, you know. like Seminary that's is such
0: – everybody thinks seminary is this, like, wonderful, idyllic place, but it is so insufferable.
1: <laughs> yes, seminary students are usually insufferable. Usually I count well-meaning, myself. but yeah, often right. usually insufferable. <laughs>
0: because they're all measuring their dicks. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's basically what it is. Uh, Well, especially in church bodies like mine when you don't ordain women, so yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so for me, it's like I could see value in asking the question, um, should we be measuring stuff like that? Should we be doing that? So with that in mind, What was doctrine? You kind of touched on a little bit, but let's go in depth. What was doctrine like for you growing up in the faith? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I mean, it was very much the 90s evangelical stuff of know what you believe and why you believe it. Right. Um, And in those days, it was very much a it doesn't mean you have to I think the phrase was check your brains at the door kind of thing so like doctrine was important but it also didn't make you crazy because that was in those days we thought we were fighting against atheists who told us we were all loony you know (laughs) right yeah um so it was partly that but it was also um i think what you said about it you know what affected me the most whether i knew it or not was the how do you know you're saved right like um the reason doctrine is so important is because if you're not right you might go to hell. Right. Because like if you don't if your doctrine does not include in those days, you know, the the saying the sinner's prayer and and you know being uh quote saved in that way, well then you're then you're probably damned. So, you know, doctrine was very important because you wanted to make sure that you were okay in the both temporal and eternal sense. And I think like I said, it was very much an identity marker, right? It's what um set our community apart as different than others. And, in I think it was always, well, maybe everybody does this, but it was the idea of we're set apart because we have it right. (laughs) You know, like we either, in some cases, the less charitable way of saying that is they're all wrong and maybe not Christians. The more charitable way yet still terrible way would be to say something along the lines of, well, you know, at some point, If they if they are willing, uh, God will show them that that they need to be speaking in tongues or whatever, because that's what all Christians really should do. You know, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. they're still Christians, but they're not quite, you know, as as good as they could be kind of idea. Um, I don't remember too many people. Well, actually, no, I think people did say those kind of things, probably not in quite those words, but that was very much an idea that was present, you know.
0: Yeah, we had people say. All Christians are Lutherans. They just don't know it.
1: Yes, that idea, exactly. Right. Um, And it's just like, fuck you, man. Like, that is the (laughs) most arrogant. And not not just you. I mean, it was the same for us. Like, that approach to it is just so awful and condescending and, you know,
0: um, (laughs) typical (laughs) of Christians. Yeah, whatever I experience now, I just laugh because it's just so absurd to think that you have the anyway yeah that was was my experience
1: too i'm gonna say i may have told this story before but it's just so perfectly illustrates this of when i was a ta at seminary you probably know which one i'm gonna tell yeah and Mm -hmm. uh you know they all knew i i wasn't actually i don't think they did at this point this is pretty early on i remember one of the people in the class he put his hand up and was responding and to something and he said something along the lines of well I, very magnanimously, I think that other (laughs) denominations go to heaven too. And um, I think I said, sort of under my breath, but sort of not. And I was like, oh, well, we're glad to hear that. You know, because it's just like this idea of like, you know, that like you said, that anybody has it figured out that way. And it lets you be a gatekeeper for the pearly gates, you know, and that's that's a problem, I think.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if... I think there's, for us, it's a lot more complicated, the relationship to theology in hell, um, or doctrine in hell, because I could certainly say I feared that, but I don't know if it was directly connected like it was in your experience to what people said. Uh, The vast majority of talk about doctrine was just, I mean, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows there's a tremendous amount of energy to getting it right because it is right, not because of anything else. Now, what it turns into is arrogance and ridiculousness over other Christians, but it was really, my experience was getting doctrine right you go to, it's both inside and outside the worship service. So outside the worship service, the obvious place would be confirmation catechesis, but also new members classes. Those would be another place where you have to, they're just the most boring classes because it's just basically, here's a systematic text that we wrote. That's really, you know, dumbed down and, um, plain and boring. And
1: and then we wonder why nobody wants to be a new member. I know, right? <laughs> go to one of those and say, no, thanks.
0: Oh, and gosh, it's weird what Christians get hung up on. Like some people in, in the congregation I serve now, they're like, well, one of the main problems we have is you're not doing a new member class. that's like 16 weeks long. And I thought, there's no fucking way I'm going to be through. <laughs> <laughs> and you, in your
1: head you're like fuckers I can't get you to come for 2 weeks in a row, let alone 16. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like what are we going to do? We're going to teach people into heaven? Is that what you're trying to do or we're going to teach them into being good well, Christians or But
1: that the answer to that would be yes, right? Yeah, in the answer is yes. So
0: catechism class, confirmation, um I I so I'm going to own up to a huge mistake I made. When I was here, it was one of the things I wish I could take back. It's also something I don't beat myself up on because I was just a stupid young pastor not knowing what I was doing. So I wanted to make sure that people knew that when we started confirmation, it would be not it would not be a classroom setting. Um, we got this brand new cool curriculum that was very easily adaptable into asking questions rather than giving answers, you know, just really cool stuff. Um, Because teenagers don't want to hear answers to questions. Uh, Parents think they need to hear answers to questions, but teenagers, they need to, they need, I believe they need the freedom to explore.
1: That's what, that's what we're doing in that point in our life is we're figuring shit out, right? And, and not every teenager is the same, obviously, but even if well, the worst it, thing
0: to do is take on the model of the parent and say, I know all the answers right. to a teenager. It's just right. Absolutely when they ridiculous. decided
1: that their parents know absolutely nothing,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, yeah. And I know they're going to learn more and they're going to learn better and, and so on and so forth. But still at that point in life, it's probably best to let them explore. Anyway, so we were doing that and I, here's the mistake I meant. I said, I sent out a letter saying, we are not going to do confirmation. And I thought everybody would know what we were talking about. And of course, there was more text, but that was the, you know, takeaway. And people were like, well, you're not going to do confirmation? Why wouldn't you do confirmation? And so I had to keep on explaining, no, we're going to do confirmation. It's just not going to be the same as it once ah,
1: it might was. And Elaborated a bit in the letter, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, I did elaborate. It was a page letter. So I mean, it was oh, they there just, but they
1: stopped at the stopped, stopped at the, at the headline,
0: headline huh But I think so part of me is that was a mistake and I wasn't clear in communication the other part of me is that maybe I was too clear at some level like they kind of knew what I was doing was we're not going to go through a classroom there was there was one father who said you have to have a classroom and you have to have a theological test and you have to have them Uh, uh, and you have to have them in front of the congregation and say that they believe these things so that they're held accountable. And I just, I'm thinking to myself, boy, that's a recipe for having somebody leave the church real quickly. Uh But this is all in line with how we think about things when it comes to doctrine. If you don't know the doctrine, if you don't get taught it, then you're as good as... I don't know if we would say lost in the sense of going to hell, but certainly lost in the sense of like slippery slope. We use the Psalm, um, you know, raise a child in the way that they, uh, yes. you know, that kind of thing. No, that's Proverbs rather. Yeah. I wonder um, what that
1: proverb actually means. Cause I'm pretty sure it's not not what we've all decided. <laughs> anyway, separate topic.
0: Well, I, I'll answer. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm that guy. I got to, I've got to, but uh, it seems to me at least that, uh, Solomon's wisdom literature is showing what life looks like when it goes well. Um, and well, yeah, if you raise a child in a certain way, they're going to follow how it goes. However, life doesn't always go the way that it's supposed to go anyway. Um, it's not a golden rule. It's not a, it's not a formula as any parent knows kids don't listen to anything you fucking tell them. So
1: Well, nothing like being, uh, giving them another thing that really like they have so many things in their, life. Like you have to go to school and you have to learn and do all these things right. and you have to start thinking about college and you have to get a job and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, why give them another one a right. thing that they'll yeah. at best just kind of, I mean, some might be really into it and that's fine, you know? but a lot of them are just going to be like, who cares, right? I have other priorities right now. Yeah,
0: yeah. so we have that, in fact, in our tradition a lot of times um, because we have a a strong schooling system. um, Catechism is, our catechesis is through the school, which is just, for me, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, let's teach them it's something you learn at school where kids are so detached from school.
1: Well, and it's interesting because in a group that, Put so much emphasis on pastors being the ones to teach correct theology, it then turns around and let people who are not pastors teach yeah, theology, yeah. <laughs> which I'm fine with. I'm just saying like, it's it's kind of a strange right. juxtaposition. Weird.
0: So all that's to say for us, doctrine wasn't necessarily a measuring, it was, but it wasn't explicitly a measuring tape for where it is that you're going to be in hell, but, you know, if you believe this or that or the other, but more it's like, here's all the things that you, you should believe certainly. And the more you believe those things, the better kind of person or Lutheran or Christian you are.
1: Yeah. I was gonna, I was thinking about that. Of There was a somewhat more benevolent side of it of like, we want people to believe the right things because believing the quote wrong things is bad for them. Like, uh, you know, like part of the reason to have right doctrine is because if your doctrine is quote wrong, it could lead you to some beliefs or even practices that are not good. Um, I don't know. I, I see. Can I come up with an example? Like, well, if you're a good Protestant, like we were, if, you're, if your doctrine um, teaches you that you have to do something to earn your salvation, for example, Mm -hmm. that's going to make you put you in a place where you think you have to earn it. And that's bad. That kind of idea. Um, You know, I I think. So there was it wasn't just a we have it right and everybody else is wrong, although there was a hefty dose of that. But it was also the we really do think this is the best way to be a Christian. And so we want to teach people that, you know.
0: Yeah. And I mean, to be quite frank, uh, we do a lot of doctrinal stuff on this podcast. We talk about how certain doctrines, the one that kind of came to mind was uh, purity culture and Mm -hmm. and the um, doctrines around sexuality and how we, on the other side of being taught all of that, say, uh, Mm -hmm. that kind of fucked us up. Let's rethink that. Let's redo it. Let's uh consider something a, new. Swing
1: and a miss. That one. Was. Yeah, this is <laughs> a swing and a miss. <laughs> uh, that's Ryan making a sports metaphor, folks. So <laughs> put it on your calendars this day in history. Um yeah. Well, and and like I think we should say too, wherever we go in the conversation from here, I mean anything you say in in a church setting or in a faith community however that looks in some way there's it is a doctrinal statement right even if you just say uh i believe in jesus well that's a very doctrinal thing to say that is a mm-hmm. doctrine right so um I don't, so you can't take any of this and say let's throw doctrine out the window because it's kind of a dumb thing to say honestly um yeah. But yeah.
0: I just remembered it, the way you said that. So that's the framing that we got uh, as first years of the seminary And our MDiv was um, every statement that you ever that you ever say is a theological statement in terms well, of when you talk about God. Oh, right. Okay. When you talk about God or God's business, if you will. And so, what Lutherans or what we were taught is, therefore, you better get your doctrine right, right.
1: right. Yeah, we had an element of that too, at least for those of us who were going to be pastors, right? Like I've talked about that verse in James a lot, or rightly dividing the yep. word of truth kind of stuff. You know? yep. Um, yep. So, there was that too of you got to get it right because people depend on you to do that.
0: In addition to doctrine and the- theology always being something that we talk about when we talk about God especially in the Christian church as we think about doctrine, and it's unavoidable, yet we want to be cautious and say that we don't want to go to the right. I think there is goodness in talking about doctrine because that helps us grow and it helps us understand each other. If If we take the emphasis away from doctrine, that it has to be right, and we'll get into that, of course, later on, but just let's put that as a hypothetical, we take away that emphasis, then the goodness of doctrine allows us to engage with other people that believe the same and differently than us and explore, uh, I think the richness of what God has to give us and the richness of how we've interpreted that. And yeah, sometimes codified and systematized it. um, And uh, you know, everyone knows how we feel about systematic theologians but there is value in talking about that and i think as especially as somebody who likes to have systems and compartments for everything having a place where you're like okay i'm talking about this allows for fuller exploration of of everything that god's doing having an awareness is all i'm trying to say an awareness that there are beliefs and that there are these things called doctrines where we can discuss I mean, it's been incredibly helpful for us on this podcast to be able to say, hey, let's talk about hell. And now we know all the stuff that goes in the hell bucket. <laughs> and <laughs> a wonderful mm, image, a hell, hell bucket. bucket. And yeah. we'll talk about it and we'll say, hey, do we want to keep hold on to this bucket anymore? Do we want to get rid of it? What's it look like? And so on and so forth. And I think that there's value in that, certainly, when it comes to doctrine. Now, that's got nothing to do with its impact or whatever, but it is a handy, uh, let's say logical tool since I go with logic for us to talk about things. So with that said, let's just jump into the question uh, instead of you know lingering along for another 25 minutes and then finally getting to the answer to the question. <laughs> let's talk about it, because I think that's where most of our conversation today is going to be. Ryan, do we need doctrine?
1: Um, well, if you take the caveat that we already said that it's in some way, it's unavoidable in a community of faith. If you believe something there is a doctrine doctrinal, doctrinal, whatever um, quality to that. But I guess part of what brought this topic up for me is um, I'll give you an example. Like I used to like I come from a theological world that teaches uh, water baptism is to be done by immersing people in water. And that is the right way to do it. Right. And, you know, if you asked a pastor in that world why they don't baptize infants, they'd probably say something like, well, it's not in the Bible, which is its whole thing. But the the idea was that there's a right way to do it. And I used to think, uh, and a wrong way to do it. And I used to think that that was very, very important because we didn't wanna be baptizing people wrong because <laughs> it might yeah. not count, right? Like uh, it's, it's well, we wanna, you know, that kind of idea. And, you know, now I'm at part of a church uh, where they do baptize infants and I don't care. <laughs> and and the reason I say that is is like, I just I used to think it was like God's up there with the with the right the the well I guess even in some sense platonic systematic text right like God has all the answers, and we gotta be as close as we can because if we're not, then we're out, we're bad, we're you know whatever, yeah. And now I think about it and say, I just don't know if God cares if we baptize adults or infants or all of the above. And I don't know if God cares um, if we put them all the way under the water or not. And Scandal. Well, I I mean, I know, especially for some of our audience, right? Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, like, and there's, I could give any number of other examples. Like, I won't give a ton, but like another one is like, I used to think speaking in tongues was something all Christians should do and i'm still fine with people doing it but i honestly i don't think it matters if everybody does it or not you know
0: i'll go a step further i i'm not sure substitutionary atonement is the only way to think about jesus
1: right, right. and that's a that's another great example yeah
0: if if somebody from my church body heard that they'd flip a lid they'd, <sighs> they'd be yeah, very no, upset be in
1: trouble you know and Jesus um, in the
0: temple type anger
1: right well that's okay it's time i certainly we have enough of that to go around um <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah and, and I guess my my question is especially in things in the way that these kinds of whatever doctrine it is I think there's a like in the ideal world if that's a thing, or I should say, ideally, um, doctrines would let us express our individuality and and different ways that God is working with us and our identity in that way. But it seems to be, in most cases, what it's done instead is, maybe I'm getting too far ahead of us here, but what it's done instead has made it uh, what separates and divides us. And that's where I say, do we need that kind of doctrine? I I, it, it like. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. Like I said, I don't, I I could go to a church that baptizes people in pretty much any way, you know, almost. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there could be a way that that wouldn't be true, but of the generally accepted ways to do it, um, you know, or if this church believes this about the Lord's Supper and this one believes that, I honestly don't know if I care. Partly that's where I'm at in my life right now. But also, I just, I wonder how much do these things matter that we were, that I was always convinced were the only things that mattered.
0: Yeah. If I would rephrase that in my, in the way I'm thinking right now, it feels like, or it seems like, doesn't feel, it seems like. It's
1: okay to feel, Nate. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Feel with my thoughts. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, It seems like what we were taught is what you're no longer comfortable with, which is that doctrine is the end point. Hmm. Whereas seems like you're saying if doctrine has a value, it is that it is the starting point to, while maybe you're not saying that, maybe that's something I'm adding to it. Seems like, yeah, that doctrine's not the answer. And maybe it's just a tool. Maybe that's I think what that's it is
1: onto something. Like, you know, there is a I think um it's not that yeah, I think there could be a place for well, there is a place for doctrine in our religious lives, whatever that looks like, right? But I think it's it's uh one of the things that matter instead of only the th- the only thing that matters you know and and like um that's that's kind of what that's you know that's kind of where i'm at with this is why do we focus on these things to the point of um well i know why but we shouldn't be focusing on these things of the mind to the point where we don't have any idea of how it affects people or what it re- requires from people or causes for people or any of those other things. And, and especially why do we do it in such a way that may always puts us on top of the, you know, we're
0: always the ones who
1: are right. So we have the, we have the truth, you know, that kind of stuff that we've also talked about a lot.
0: I, so I, I don't know if this is where you were going. Let me just kind of repeat it a bit different. Cause I, I like what you're saying. I'm thinking about this as you're saying it. It's almost as though when we frame things according to doctrine, our belief and our life together, according to doctrine, that that creates a certain way of being um, that can be problematic. And, and we've noticed the two ways of being, right, which is dread of hell right. um, and arrogance,
1: Right. Self-righteousness. Yeah. And I think that's that's the problem is that those, for me anyway, and I think probably it sounds like for you too, those are the only two options. It's either you or you can have one or the other, or I guess you could have both, right? Both, But <laughs> yeah. um, it's just like, that's, I think, what has been kind of getting at me is like, I, like I said, I don't think you can or should throw out doctrine entirely. But this idea that doctrine can only be something that we use to control people or something, well, maybe they're both that way, or something that we use to make ourselves feel better than everybody else or look better or, you know, put ourselves on God's side or whatever it is. I think that's the problem with with doctrine, how we use doctrine more than the individual doctrines themselves being correct or incorrect. Probably.
0: Maybe okay. (laughs) We're
1: you know like this is all stuff we're thinking about here too. You know like um,
0: so with that in mind, let's. uh, I want to return to the answer. Do we need doctrine? Then is it that we can do doctrine differently? Can can doctrine have a different effect on us? Because I think that would be some people would say, yeah, there are shitty people who use doctrine in terrible. You know, Westboro Baptist, for example, and others. A lot of Christians just don't they don't agree with that kind of stuff, that that tactic, if you will. And their doctrine allows them to do such terrible things. And so I, I could guess there'd be a lot of people who say, hey, well, just use doctrine better, or, or that's not what doctrines are really supposed to do. Is it a problem with us just having doctrine used properly or improperly?
1: I think that the answer is yes and no. <laughs> like, I think yeah, part of it is for me, anyway, part of it is for me that, um, yes, a big part of the problem is is how it's used, and we need to do that differently. But I think, too, there's a problem deeper than that, which is we've made our entire religious expression and life about something we hold in our heads. Right. So like our entire way of faith is determined by what I think in my, you know, what I believe. I mean, you could say you believe it somewhere other than your brain, but I, I don't know if that's really true. Like we've made all of our faith into, um, um, What's the word I want? Not prepositions. Um, what's the what's the word I'm looking Propositions. for? Propositions. Propositions. Yes, not prepositions. <laughs> that is different. Um, you know, and it's like I think that is partly where we have made a big detour here of why. Well, I, I have some ideas why enlightenment, etc. <laughs> but you know, like that, I think is a is a big problem. Of yes, we should use it differently, but also this idea that that uh, the central part of our faith is in our heads, um, whoever we are. And that's not unique to the more people who have the more intellectual bent in their doctrine or whatever. Like that's still true for people like, uh, you know, Pentecostals who are on the other side of that, especially now in the evangelical century that we've lived in, right? So yeah, I don't know. It's on
0: full display right now. with Trump and evangelicalism. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I like that answer. Uh, I mean, yes and no. Yeah, we we got to use doctrine better. There's that aspect of it being a tool. But I also, because of my philosophical leanings, I think that if we put something that is our intellect, our ideas at the core of our identity, and maybe not just identity, but core of our expression of faith.
1: And our interaction with God.
0: And right. our interaction with God, right? There's lots of people who don't want to pray to God because they might say the wrong thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that might not be as true in your situation as it ours, oh, no, where we
1: it still is. Yeah, is
0: it okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it for me, I really resonate with that. Seems to me if we keep on having doctrine or theology at the center of how we express anything when it comes to God. Then we're going to be living with dread and arrogance Smug as our reality.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or I suppose it might even create maybe the middle ground between those two is just paralysis, right? Like uh, I, I, uh-huh. I don't know. I can't do anything, and so I'm just kind of frozen here in between. None of those three things That's sound particularly healthy to me. By the way, like right. what God would intend, it doesn't seem likely.
0: <laughs> well, that's really interesting because we have this conversation a lot, uh, and I'm not throwing the conversation out, but how much are people consumers of religion? Mm. Uh, maybe a more compassionate way to think about that, at least in the active sense, is that there's paralysis. Yeah. yeah I think there's still consumerism. Sure. I mean, it's hard to avoid that, but course you
1: could also ask how much our church is consumers of people but that's a yeah, you know, right. that's, that's yeah. a
0: separate topic I suppose <laughs> yay <laughs> uh, capitalism uh, yeah so but I like that paralysis because especially if you if you experience the world outside of or let's say um in a way that's intellect is secondary or um theology is secondary I, I'm trying to how to how do you say no, that I mean, nicely. Like, I'm.
1: I don't think that's a bad way to say it. Okay. Um, I mean, your primary mode of engagement with God cannot be your intellect, and it doesn't mean you're a you know, yeah, dum dum or something.
0: Right. Yeah. I like that, and and we meet those people. Right. They seem to be very powerful, powerfully connected to God in a mm-hmm. in a way that transcends the way we talk about Him and
1: yeah i mean like i i had i went to see someone the other day and she's someone i've been seeing for a long time and um you know and she's very ready to die and just isn't that's something that comes up a lot for me you know yeah so anyway i she's I said, can I pray for you at the end? And she said, yes. And I prayed. And then I said, amen. And she said, oh, I never say amen. And I said, well, why not? And she says, because that closes you off. And I want to stay in touch with God, you know? Huh. And I said, you know, I to mean, think about that. I like that. And I bring that up to say, you know, I've learned a lot of theology, right? And yet I'm learning so much from these people yeah. I go to see who, some of whom didn't even graduate high school. Right. So it's like, you know, it's not about it's not just about like you can engage things through a way other than your intellect all the time. And it doesn't mean you're not Mm. smart or sometimes I think people uh, are wise like that. And that's maybe a lot more important than being smart anyway. Yeah. You know, smart people do dumb things, but that's something else, (laughs) I guess.
0: So I think if we were to answer the question a bit boldly. With that discussion in mind, then we would say, "No, we don't need doctrine at least insofar as it captures the quality and nature of our relationship with God and our know. faith expressed
1: like i I think that there is an important dimension to to doctrine being a propositional thing. Like there is something to that that's important, I think, as long as that's not for me anyway, as long as that's not the only way, because turns out we are more than just brains in a in a meat suit. You know, Um, speak for yourself. (laughs) So are you, whether you admit it or not, Um, you know, uh, but I think that like for me, maybe I don't know. Again, I'm just thinking out loud here. Maybe it's not that there's no place for propositional theology. That sounds bad but i think that's <laughs> yeah. as much as um systematic theology right like that has a place i guess you systematicians are glad to hear it um <laughs> and you know side note we feel the same way about them that they do about us yeah um, i know right <laughs> um but i think for me it's been looking at okay but how do i move at least at this point in my life i know that area well right? I've learned a lot of things in my head, and I know a lot of doctrine and theological propositions in that sense. So what else is God doing in terms of like, how do I not just learn doctrine? How do I live doctrine? Does that even make sense? Or is that just something you put on the back of a book to sound like you got something to say? Um <laughs> Like, how does it become an embodied thing and not just an in-brained thing? Is this kind of what I'm trying to get at?
0: Yeah. Which makes sense because, well, and that is different than the way doctrine is typically used. It's used as um, the core, the center. It's taught that way, it, mm-hmm. the the prime thing that we need to be focused on. Uh, and to move that aside and say, how does doctrine actually impact my life and impact my relationships with people? Uh That that gets short circuited really quick and people like they don't know how to answer that question. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, what is it that Paul says uh, you believe that Christ is Lord good for you? So do the demons. And yeah, uh is that where he uses it to say um, it's not enough to just get your shit together. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, of course, that's what he's always saying. But, um, (laughs) you know, like that idea, too, of, um, you know, if I believe that God is love. If I only believe it in my head, that doesn't help anybody, right? If that's just a thing I assent to in my mind, well, fine. I I know the answer for the test and I get a better grade. But yeah. if if I if my belief that God is love causes me to love people in a way that I would not otherwise, and to show them exercise that love, well, then I think okay, that's the good. That's a good way to use doctrine then, right? Because it's not just in my head; it's in my heart and in my hands. I guess if you wanna you want to you know something i do as well as something i think
0: yeah well the the verse you're thinking of or the passages uh where where paul says if i could preach like angels and have not love right that's where that comes from or is that a different place no i mean
1: that that wasn't what i was thinking but that's very much the case yeah right yeah um and Paul's Mr. Doctrine, I might point out, right? Yeah, you read Paul's letters or those letters, whoever wrote them. Um, and I mean they are dripping with doctrine in a sense. But even there, I think someone yeah. who's a Paul person could say this better than me. But um, even there, though, why is Paul so vehement about the right doctrine? Because he sees them uh, it affecting the way they treat each other and how they live as Christians, yeah. right? He wants them to know this because the fact that they don't is causing harm. Um, Because there's a great example, right? Their theology is causing harm because that's their theology. There is is embodied in a way. It's just, you know, so does it matter Mm. that what it is? Yeah, it does, because I don't know. I wonder, I'm just wondering this question here. You can answer it or not, because I don't know But like. Maybe all theology is embodied or, or lived out in the way we're talking about, which is why it matters because you know um it affects people, whatever it may be,
0: yeah, that's why I went hum because that that's a interesting way to say it. like if we have an intellectual approach or a doctrinal approach to life and faith, then that is an embodied way of yeah. doing things because it does have an impact. And and it was coming from a place where I was going to ask the question is love and doctrine, are they compatible today? Maybe we've lost that compatibility. If if Paul's really saying that, well, which I think you're right. Um, have we lost it? Um, you know, I, I'm kind of in the, not kind of, I'm fully in the court of saying the enlightenment fucked up a lot of stuff and that would be where we've kind of Move towards this intellectualized faith um, that is embodied towards arrogance and dread and and some other stuff. It's embodied the good stuff too. Clarity is one of them, and you know we don't do things just because we're horrible people and want to do horrible things. There are good things that we get from having this intellectualized, doctrinal, systematic theology to uh, to our faith, but. You know, we've talked about this a lot. This year has been a year, this two years almost, fuck me, has been a time where we can't unsee things. Like we've learned things about ourselves and about our faith that is really hard to, to just ignore anymore. And I wonder if that's one of them. Has doctrine supplanted love? as the way that we do things the way that we live out our faith
1: yes i'm trying to think is it is it fair to just say yes in in a very definitive way like that to that and i think my experience of it has been i think that that is kind of one of the if not the central part of the problem is that the answer i think is yes right? Like we care. We'll welcome people into our community as long as they believe and do what we do. And, it, and they have to do that first. Otherwise they can't come in. Right. We might let them in the doors, but they can't do things or we don't really want, you know, that kind of thing.
0: And, yeah. And, and they won't be included or loved. Right. Or, right.
1: We, yeah. we can't include them because they are wrong. They are uh, dangerous or whatever it might be. And, um, you know, as someone who's one of those dangerous folks, uh. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm that's always a big scared part of the in your problem. presence. Well, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, terrifying. That's me. Filled with, <laughs> I fill people with dread. But, but in seriousness, though, I just, I'm more meant like my very yeah. existence is one of those things, right? Yeah, I, I can't be in the community I was in because of it, and it's because what matters is, um, what's right belief.
0: So, a big thing I've been doing at my congregation is trying to say. As silly as it is, make the case for loving people. Can can we just love people? Can Could is we that give what it a we try? Can we try it? <laughs> um, and it is phenomenal. How many times the basic response is, "Yeah, that sounds great," but that that's usually mm. the the general response. And or
1: that's what we're doing by kicking them.
0: Out. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's weaponizing. Weaponizing, what is it? It's like most people are are generally pretty good, uh, pretty nice and and loving people most. And so they're weaponizing that expectation, that reality against you and saying, how dare you say that I'm not loving? Uh, I love my kids. I love this, that, and it's just-
1: myself after all.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I was in this class, it was a turning point for uh, this class, this Bible study, it was a turning point for my ministry here. I was saying the basic thing again can we just love people, folks? That's all we got to do. And the question came up okay, but when we love them, then what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's like, then you love them more. Well, it's like, like
1: first of all Mildred we got to do that first before yeah you know, we're not doing it so let's give
0: let's get that far and then so i did my classic uh the horse before the or cart before the horse speech which is we've been spending so much time making our cart carts look pristine and they're just you know they're wonderfully crafted and we've got all this of how do we handle people and we don't have anybody in those carts because we don't have a horse drawn, you know, whatever the metaphor falls apart, but you know what I mean? It's like, we haven't even thought about anything about doing what the horse does. We're so focused on this damn cart. And you don't even know what it looks like to live a life with love as what's driving you. Instead, you want to focus on all the intricacies of how life should work. And should we tell them they're sinners and that they need to turn away from this life or that, or whatever nonsense comes up. It's like, you're not even going to get the opportunity to explore or do any of that because you're not even loving people. Yeah, And so I don't know. I, I, I said, I don't know because it does feel like what I think you were feeling feels kind of harsh to say we have supplanted love with doctrine like we we just don't want to love people or we're very uncomfortable doing it or something
1: i think we also don't know how um i think i think it is true i I don't think it's just that we don't know how i think it is that we don't want to or whatever sometimes but i think we also have been taught in a certain way for so long that um you know you know, believing and teaching the right thing is loving people, regardless of what it does or how it, you know, and all that. And I think we don't, a lot of us or a lot of people don't have an alternative, right? Like, well, if this isn't loving people, I don't know what to do. And, you know, on the one, in one way of looking at it, you could say that's, if you can get them to admit that much, that's at least a start, because then you can, we can all figure out together, okay, well, what does it mean to love your neighbor? Right? Yeah. Problem is, I don't think most people would admit that, that you know, no. so then it's kind of like, well, it's hard with a non-starter there. But, um, yeah, I think it's that we don't want to in some cases. And in some cases, I think it's just we've been taught wrong doctrine <laughs> <laughs> for so long that we don't know what to do, you know. And like seems to be the case so often, we're scared to try something different. Like, see, that's the thing is like, OK, so I don't know how to do something. And I'm if like so let's try something and see what happens. But I think so often we're scared of any all of the potential outcomes of things, and we're convinced they're all going to be bad. That we can't try anything different because we don't. What if that? What if something bad happens? It's like yeah. well, what if something does? You know, like first <laughs> of all, can't get a lot worse. Second of all, um, yeah, if yeah. something good happens, you know, and can't we trust the spirit to lead us, um, regardless of whether like in a way that ends up for good. You know, like even if we make some missteps along the way or we try something and say, well, you know, it's not I'm not trying to say that all that matters is your intentions. But I like at the same time. There is something to the idea of like, go (laughs) do it, you (laughs) know, (laughs) Uh, like God told Abraham to go, (laughs) go, you know, and and then anyway. So that idea, I think, is part of it.
0: So if we were to play with the idea of doctrine, it sounds like for the two of us, one of the big pieces of doctrine that we would say we do need, because as we talked about, talking doctrine theology is inevitable. So we're not trying to craft a systematic theology. No one thinks That's we are. A
1: systematic theology is not.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but one of the big pieces of doctrine that we do need let's say it like that, maybe, is that love guides us. Mm-hmm. And to know how the scripture talks about love, we can even elevate that to who God is. God is love, First John, uh, God so loved the world, John 3.16, and all the other ways that we see that. seems like that would be a pretty foundational piece for us in our conversation, at least.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that it's one of those, it's really hard to go wrong with love right? I mean, like when, <laughs> I thought this was a basic, you know, the basic tenet of the gospel, right? Uh, love. But that's the thing that gets me too, of like, you know, what are you so afraid of? If you're going from a place of love, like, that's what I mean. Like that, yeah. it's hard to go wrong with that, even if it doesn't mean you do everything perfectly. Um, you know, that that kind of idea. But it's also like, so yes, I think I think love is kind of the central guiding force there, but also like I think people need to be, um, mm. you know, like not just ourselves. I mean, everybody, like the other person needs to be the, the guiding factor or guiding part of our theology too. Um, I've talked about that a lot, I guess, but this idea of theology shouldn't be an individual thing, I don't think. Uh, it shouldn't be a... Um, A thing that we do on our own it should be things we do together is kind of how i I see it things we believe and do together not just something that i think and then tell everyone else they have to think too does that make sense
0: yeah um so i want to play with that just a little bit because my mind went somewhere and then you went somewhere else i don't know if you went somewhere else so let me ask the question are you saying that um all human, all all people are valuable? Is that where you well, were going? That's
1: just nonsense. That couldn't be it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that's kind of the assumption inherent in what I was saying. Okay. That the reason we do, the reason people need to guide the theology, like uh, the other needs to guide the theology too, is because um well that's just i think that's just how it has to work how it should work how it's intended to work um especially since like if you've got four people and each one of them is guided by one of the others well then they're all going to be together right cuz that's yeah. you know, that that's kind of the idea um so yeah i think i think that that is that is kind of where i'm coming from with that of you know first we need to think about what our theology means for the other person and then, or not, maybe not doesn't have, yeah, probably has to be first. First we need to think about it. And then we can't just say, well, do that might be hard on somebody. So I guess it might be hard on somebody and just kind of stop there. Right. Or Nope, that's fine. It's good. But you start with thinking about it and then how do, what's the right way to put this? Like, how do I live it with this other person? You know, like, if like to use the same example, if I believe that God is love, how does, what does that mean in my life towards others? What does that mean in their life towards me? You know, that, that kind of thing, a uh, reciprocal or whatever the word is. If there's more than two, maybe that still works. I don't know, but, um, that idea it's, it's not a unilateral thing. It should
0: be a community yeah.
1: thing, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So it sounds more like, I don't know if you're you're doing this as a key piece of the doctrine, but partnership seems to be one. Mm-hmm. Um, partnership with other people, with the other, mm-hmm. but also partnership with God. Scripture seems to yeah. talk that partnership is something that He gives us, that we're to partner with Him, even from the very beginning, right? So in the Um, Genesis narrative. There's the partnership of God having Adam name all the animals, but also Mm -hmm. the partnership of God, uh, Adam and Eve together. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, been wildly abused, but it's really about how they're partnering together to, to work the garden that's been given to them. At
1: the very beginning, there was community.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of it. And and I mean, hello, I come from this world that's all about personal relationship with Jesus. And then we, we, we turn theology into something that has nothing to do with relationship. And in fact, just kind of gets in the way of a relationship, both with Jesus and other people, I think. Um, so I mean, this should be something that they're all over. Right. This should yeah. be something that they are like, yeah, that's good. That's right. Not because I said it. I just mean this idea of community and relationship is supposedly their big thing. So okay, let's do it. You know. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. You know. In addition, uh, something came up in my mind. Maybe this is an addition. Maybe it's just exploring more what it means for God to be love. Um which is what we do with doctrine, right? It kind of spins out. But I've I've done this in my church body. I've been talking about, hey, can we just love people, folks? Not only in my congregation, but with other pastors, especially when they're assholes. Well, uh, pastors really it's like that
1: discussion sometimes, yeah. you know, some pastors.
0: <laughs> so the number one response, I'm curious, maybe this isn't fair and I don't need to put this in, but I'm curious, do you know what the number one response is when I tell people, hey, can we just try to love one another?
1: Uh, is it that's what we're already doing?
0: No, that that's interesting. Um, do you think that's in your tradition?
1: I, I feel like that's what uh, the evangelical world would answer okay. that question. We're, 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 we believe all these things because that's how, you know, truth and yeah. love and all that nonsense.
0: Yeah. So the response I get back when people are actually taking me seriously is, well, how do you know you're doing the loving thing?
1: That is so classic. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> sorry, I'm not making fun exactly. I just—it's funny. Though, I should yeah. have guessed that because that makes so much sense.
0: <laughs> and so, what do they do? They go to the doctrine of the Ten Commandments to show this is the loving thing. Hmm. Um, I'm well, just not. Convinced I have never that's... coveted
1: my neighbor's wife, so I suppose I'm loving.
0: <laughs> One out of ten. You're doing. Yeah, great. that's right. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm just not convinced. Well, first of all, let's name it what it is. That's a very doctrinal answer, right? That, all right, I just had a better joke, but
1: I might have coveted my neighbor's ass a time or two. But you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm a bad person. I just, it just, yeah. Anyway, uh, not
0: that I've derailed. Anyway. You. Back on track. Uh, let's name it for what it is. That is a very doctrinal statement. That is getting us back to doctrine. Right. I also, but but I'm not sure that's a scriptural answer. That's more a theological answer. The scriptural answer to me seems to be be like Jesus. Hmm. That's how you are to love and
1: know that seems off to me. <laughs>
0: And Jesus is um, defined in Isaiah, at least. And I think you can make a strong case in the Gospels is the one who's willing to suffer with us and for us.
1: Well, I mean, you know, Jesus said a lot of things that were hard to understand, but Jesus also was pretty simple. And, you know, Jesus distilled all of the law and doctrine and theology into two things, right? He said... Love God and love each other. And I feel like we say the same things a lot, but honestly, I think it's because, (laughs) well, if and I would include the two of us in this, right, because we're learning how to do it too. It's like, well, if we would start doing it or do it better or do it more or keep doing it, then, you know, then we can move on. But I really think for all of us in some ways and probably some more than others, we're still stuck on actually the love God, love people part. Um, Yeah, that's why I think Jesus knew that sometimes we need it simple, you know, Um, and I think we have lost some of the simplistic part of faith, but the simplistic in a good way. Right. Like that's the kind of that's what I think of like that, that thing that lady told me about prayer was was in some ways kind of simple. And and my first thought was, well, but that's not what it means. Right. But that's exactly (laughs) the thing. Like it was so simple that I almost missed how profound it was. Right, you know, and so that's that's the kind of thing that uh, you know, like you said, we could try being like Jesus and try taking him seriously and uh, see what happens,
0: yeah. Could you imagine a world where we find those who are suffering and commit ourselves to suffer with them and try to overcome the thing that's causing such suffering? knowing that we're not going to succeed all the time, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to always beat the cancer. You're not always going to whatever cause those problems of the world to go away.
1: You know, I think part of the tragedy for me is that sometimes you see that kind of thing happen, even in whatever most conservative church you want to find or less conservative churches, any church that we would normally have take issue with, right? Sometimes you see them doing those very things, right? Like they help somebody who doesn't have a home or food or they help them find a job or they have a program where they teach people to read, whatever it is. Like you see that sometimes. And then when you say, this is great, let's keep going with that. And then it stops, you know? Yeah. And it's like, well, we can't do that because X, Y or A through Z or whatever it is. And that's, that's so seems so tragic to me because it's like, well, we, so we do get it then, right? Like we get it. Yeah. We just don't really want to do it because it's. Uh, it, you know, like, and, and so can I imagine it? Yes and no, right? I can imagine it because sometimes we do it and I can't imagine it because none of us probably, I yes, and I would include myself in this, none of us are able to consistently carry it through, you know? And and part of that, I think, is what we're all working on in the Christian life of being yeah. more like Christ, right? Is Is learning yeah. how to keep doing that in a way that is authentic and consistent and uh, genuine and those kinds of things. But also the the hard part is that sometimes I know exactly what I should do to love somebody mm-hmm. and I go, eh, no, thanks. You know? Right. And yeah. Anyone who's listening, you can decide for yourselves if that's true of you too, but I suspect it's true of all of us. So. Um, no,
0: you can't, you know, it's true of you. <laughs> I mean,
1: no, no, I'm saying it's true of me. No, no.
0: I mean, you, the listener, you, it is true because that is the human condition. That is what it is to be human. Not, not the theological original sin or whatever, but just the human condition is one where we choose what is best for us more often than not.
1: And maybe instead of that being a condition condemnatory, a condemning thing, I think is the word. Instead, it could be something of like, okay, so then let's use it as a way or try to use it as a way or learn how to um, do better at um, when we're faced with those things. Okay. So last time around, I really didn't do it because I messed it up. So next time I'm presented with the opportunity to really do it this time or do it in the way I should have the first time, or, you know, try something new that works well, let's use it as a reason to do that yeah. rather than a, I'm a shit person because I, <laughs> you know, cocked it up last time. Well, OK, that's probably anyway. Um
0: Wow. Yeah, that was it, it was a little yeah. crude, but I feel like it's, it's, it's true. You know, <laughs> like I uh, hey, if I'm measuring dicks, then well,
1: there you go. You know, so, yeah, instead of it being something that we feel guilt or better yet, instead of it, something we feel shame about oh, we didn't do it. We're not doing it. I'd say, like, okay, well, then let's use that as a as a way to um, try and inspire mm. ways to do better. You know, I think that's <laughs> what, what God wants that. from
0: us. Yeah. I love about that is the simplicity because we don't have time to go into this, but seems to me maybe doctrine is more helping us deal with our shame than it is actually helping us love one another. Like hmm. it's helping us take care of ourselves and make yeah. sure that we feel good and that we're not terrible people in our own eyes.
1: Well, especially when we use it as a way to say why we can't or shouldn't.
0: Yeah, you that know, way, yes.
1: Well, we can't let uh, this kind of person into the church because. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think the think you're onto something there is that our theology
0: then gives us a way out. If you're still with us, we have talked for several minutes about really the, the one uh, doctrinal statement that we are willing to be on board with, I think, which is that God is love. and we've kind of examined what that looks like in our relationship to other people and what that means uh, in other areas. But I want to come back to the question. like we've been asked asking the question, do we need doctrine? And we've kind of said, yes and no. Mm-hmm. We've we need doctrine in a certain way, as a tool. Uh, and perhaps I think what we're moving towards is that there are certain, th- certain parts of doctrine or certain doctrines, propositions and other um, terms that are necessary. And one is that God is love. Are there any others that you can think of that are necessary for a Christian to hold on to?
1: That's a interesting way to phrase that. Um I think not nearly as many as I used to think, that's for sure. It's tough because my first reaction is to say yeah, there's like three, <laughs> right? I would say, you know, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection. But even that though, like I the have Holy a spirit well, see, there you go. But like, I was, I, <laughs> I bring, bring, well, I went to your seminary. So um, <laughs> I, I bring that up to say, like, I have a friend who is, and uh, well, I guess she would be an Episcopal priest by now. She was in seminary when I met her. And she told me one day, she said, I don't know for sure if Jesus was literally raised from the dead. And, you know, 10 years ago, i had been like, well, then you ain't a Christian lady, right? Yeah. And now and yet, as I worked with this woman at the hospital, we were both uh, chaplains there. I saw her ministering to people in a way that was very much showing the love of Jesus to them. You know, and so, like, I don't know. I, I think it's tough. I think I would say it this way I have, there are a few things for me that I think I need um, to live my Christian faith. And I wonder if that's as comfortable as, as I am, like that's as far as I can go comfortably. It's not that I think nothing matters. And it's not that I think that say like that belief, for example, I'm not saying there might not be problems with it. I just don't know if I can decide for everybody what all these other things are. You know, I I think, well, I mean, I can, but I, I just, I don't really even have that power anyway, do I? I don't know. It's a, that's not a very satisfying answer to me, to be honest. Like I'm not trying to, yeah. to, to to dodge the question. I just I am leery of going too far in the direction that caused so many problems for me, while also recognizing that even with everything I've said today, I do think doctrine matters. I think we need it, but I think we need it in a way that's so different than the way we've had it. So. I don't know if that answers the question. It's a it's something I'm still really wrestling with these days of you know.
0: I love the way you said that because it did make me think too. Are there other doctrines that I feel are essential or necessary? I think I might say I, I'd start with a different question. How is love uniquely expressed through the story of scripture? The story handed down to us. And I think I had come to two answers. One that we learn through the Old Testament, and one that we learn through the New. That is not to separate the two. I think you can make a case that they're in both. But the well, way I've learned at least them. One, through the Old Testament, is the steadfast nature of God's love, that it is always ever there.
1: Never ceases, never comes to it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which I think allows for a conversation like this to happen, where we can come to a conclusion that feels very uncomfortable for us, but God still loves us. Um, Hell, if he still loves Judas. Right, right. You know? um, So steadfast would be maybe that's just redefining love or clarifying love instead of getting to a new doctrine. And I don't have the knowledge to say that that's unique to Christianity, but it is something that is certainly true. Well, it's not unique to Christianity because Judaism has it as well, but um, unique to our story together. I think the second one is not unique to Christianity, but is unique in the way that it was expressed. And I've kind of already hinted at it, is that the way we see love is through suffering because of the way that this life is made, the way that we experience this life. And this is where our Buddhist friends are, are just gonna spot say, you're on.
1: sounding pretty Buddhist here.
0: I know, <laughs> but they are spot on where, life is suffering as their their motto. I don't know if that's how they would say it, but the way most people hear about Buddhism is the mantra that life is suffering. And for Jesus to enter into that life, to suffer in this life so that we can um, resonate with his suffering, but also that he suffers with other people um, at the hands of uh, the religious authorities, and and so forth, and that he suffers for other people mm-hmm. upon the cross. I think that's a unique expression of who God is uh, through our scriptures, through our story. So I don't know if there's necessarily a doctrine of suffering and steadfastness. Maybe this is just defining love again. And I think that's where at least the death and resurrection of Jesus falls into place. Our incarnation's harder one to make a case for in these two things, but the steadfast nature of love is demonstrated through the resurrection where neither death nor life, you know, that whole thing that Paul says. Um, We needed to, me, I needed to see that God was still steadfast through death. Mm -hmm. And what a wonderful story that he has given to remind us of that.
1: Yeah. I needed to see that God was still steadfast through any other kind of rejection that you might experience, right? Like, right.
0: Yeah. I'm... And then, of course, the cross is rejection, uh, or sorry, suffering, suffering and challenges us to suffer with other people at the same time as, as reminds us that he suffers with us. Mm-hmm. So um, it's not a, a one-way <laughs> relationship between me and Jesus of suffering. It is all of us suffering with him and with each other because that's what he does. Uh, one of the things I want to play with in the next Lenten series is how Jesus suffered with his disciples at every step of the way. Or because um, of? Huh? I said, or because of his disciples.
1: But <laughs> well, yeah, mostly. A of joke.
0: Mostly. I think there's just something beautiful about that that I think is intrinsic as much as I believe in things that are intrinsic, uh, that's intrinsic to the gospel and uh, to what what Jesus says to God's love uh, that is steadfast and that it is defined by suffering. Mm. Um, and so I would say, yes, the death and resurrection of Jesus, but not for the old propositional ways of doing it, which is uh, all s- wrapped up in substitutionary atonement, that right. we have and, to believe in that for it to actually have effect.
1: And, and soteriology, right? Like, if you don't believe that, you can't be saved, kind of right. stuff. Yeah. Know, which I guess is similar, but
0: yeah. And that's why the incarnation's tricky because, I mean, I, I guess you could tie the, and I'm just thinking of this right on the spot, you could tie the incarnation into that because only God can show that kind of love through suffering and consistency. I don't know i don't know i'd have to think about that some more
1: i think something i've been thinking about as we've been talking um is i think we've also removed theology well we've we've decided that theology is not a contextual thing and it totally is right like so we've got the uber theology whoever we are whatever that is and so this is what you need to know to be a christian or this is what even what you need to do to be a christian right yeah And I wonder if it's not that, like, I can't believe that, you know, death, resurrection, incarnation, death, resurrection, you know, parousia, whatever. Um, Like, maybe it's about how and where I do that. So maybe that's part of why we have different communities, not to exclude people, but because there is a, a, like we said earlier, part of our identity are the things that we believe that are distinct from others. And that's okay as long as it's not the, So therefore, if you don't, we don't want anything to do with you because we're better than you. And so like context maybe allows us to decide the rule, the grammar of the, to use a a Lindbeck thing, like the grammar of the community, (laughs) right? Well, that's, you know, like grammar in English is very different than grammar in, I don't know, Swahili, right? They're different rules. So I would not go somewhere that they speak Swahili well, I hope nobody does, but people do, and try to tell them they have to speak in the way that I do because that doesn't make sense, right? The right. context is wrong, yeah. so it, it's it's that that kind of idea that I think we've jettisoned, and I think that has caused a lot
0: of our problems too. Hmm. Boy, that's fascinating. I wish we had time to go into all this because the uh. connection between language hmm. and doctrine. Because language is just an expression of one's culture, right? Mm-hmm. That's how it forms and that's how it changes. Well, language
1: forms culture maybe, but sure. Does it?
0: I think it does, at least. Anyway, this is the stuff we don't have time for. <laughs> yeah, this is the st- <laughs> Anyway, that relationship at least between yeah. language and culture and what that means to hold on to specific doctrines as language expressed or faith expressed in in language. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, that just, that, there's a whole lot that you could do there. of uh, I, I love what you said. So my mind went right to, huh, so not only does this, Doctrine of love have implications of what Jesus did and what God does, but also you move towards ecclesiology, which is the church, right? Doctrine mm-hmm. of the church. Mm-hmm. And uh immediately my Lutheran brain's like, oh, so ecclesiology must be a doctrine too. <laughs> uh, and we don't have time to like debate that or talk about that. But it does seem to me like if we hold on to the guiding force of love, then it does inform a lot of stuff other than or rather than holding on to the privilege of doctrine or the centrality Mm. of doctrine. And maybe that's what I'm exploring or discovering or experiencing or all three all at once as we're talking is the transplanting of Doctrine for love, what that really looks like in of course, in a culture and in a time where we've been so steeped in a centrality of doctrine. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that might have been way too absurd and and wordy, but well that's kinda so, what that's kind of what we do here, Nate. Wordy. Okay. Good. <laughs> uh... I'm curious then, as we kind of get close to the end here. I know some people will be saying, all right, you keep on asking this question and then skirting it. So do we need doctrine?
1: (laughs) Well, I think where I'm at today right now at 321 p.m. on August 1st, 2021, uh, (laughs) I would say that we do, but it better not be something that's all in your head and it needs to be, uh, all the things we've talked about, it needs to be contextual. It needs to be other focused. It needs, you know, all of these things. Like I think, do we need it? Yeah. I think that's fine to say we need doctrine, but it, it really needs to be totally changed from what I was taught that it is and how it functions and, and, and how, and why we need it, you know? Um, so yeah, if you want a definitive answer for me, that's as close as you're going to get. <laughs> now it's your turn. You have to answer the question too. Oh, okay. I <laughs> can't just stop there.
0: <laughs> so I'll just say I'm conflicted, which you might have to come back and ask me again after I go through the conflict. So the conflict is if I say yes, then it's possible what we get into is... Another dick measuring contest of what makes doctrine doctrine. Um, I could see somebody saying, Hey, all that stuff you said today is really great, but you're missing this, you're missing that, and so on and so forth. Well, but we don't participate in that game. <laughs> I know we don't, but so. <laughs> why i why I struggle with that is not that I want people to think the right way or whatever, but as if I have the right way. Um, what what pains me in that is that if I say yes, then am I contributing to that system still where doctrine is so important, and people are missing the depth of love of mm-hmm. what Christ has done? Are they missing it because they're so focused out of fear or arrogance on making sure they have the right doctrine that they don't see the fullness of what God does when you're away from that as the priority, as the central focus of your faith. And maybe that's too much of a burden to put on this question and I do that a lot, put a lot into everything, but that's why I'm conflicted. Like if I say yes, then does that just make it so that my doctrine is different than somebody else's? And all of a sudden we're back into the same old tired conversation Hmm. the same time. If I say no, then all of what we talked about today is like, well then can I just throw that away? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I don't I don't like that uh, because I really believe that um, to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, is to see His love through the steadfast nature and suffering of His life on this earth. Could it? Do you be, see what I'm saying? Is that no, am I making I, sense?
1: No. Yeah, I, I think I think what you're saying is even if we say theology needs to change or needs to be love focused or whatever it is, all the stuff we've said today, we're still saying that that's the way you need to think of theology. Yeah. So we're still doing the same thing. Well, first of all, fuck you, because that's, you're probably on (laughs) to something. But I wonder. And and
0: let's, uh, let's give a moment for the chorus of fuck you from our listeners. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I,
1: I wonder if maybe the answer then is, do we need doctrine? Maybe the answer is it depends, right? Like it depends on what for, why, you know, context, all these other things. Um, You know, is there a situation wherein you might need doctrine? Yeah, probably. Um, Is it every situation? I don't know. Like that still feels like we're dodging the question, but maybe this question is just inherently dodgeable right like maybe that's what we're getting at is the fact that we've all the fact that we think of it in a yes or no thing is kind of the problem i don't know now yeah. it just sounds very cake and eat
0: it well, too kind of thing no i love that um and where my mind went ryan's going to roll his eyes i give you your permission is john caputo because john caputo asks another very basic question that you're supposed to say yes to and he asks does God exist? And he's doing that not because he's asking the objective question, does God exist? But he's asking kind of what we're doing. What does God's existence do to us as we consider it as existence? And so what he does is he changes it and he says, well, God doesn't exist. He insists. So his presence, his being, because he's, you know, a flamboyant yeah. continental philosopher. But he talks about the insistence of God, that God is like the thorn of Paul that just constantly insists upon itself in our lives. And maybe that's where I get to with ontology altogether, like this kind of question of, of uh, does doctrine matter? Uh, does it exist? And maybe that's where I ultimately Rest, And I think that's kind of what you were saying is like, maybe, maybe it's not about, do we need doctrine, but maybe it's when doctrine is needed? That's a different way to say that. that.
1: I like that. Yeah. It's when is doctrine needed? And the answer has always been yes. (laughs) Right? And I think that's, that's, that's the, the big problem I think is that is, do we need doctrine? Yeah do ish you know sometimes <laughs> and then i think i think it's embracing the uncertainty in an area where we've tried to be so very certain about everything and uh you know uh, there's a book um by a guy named pete Enns e-n-n-s it's called the uh the sin of certainty and mm. uh it's a good one it's not super long uh, i recommend it um and uh it's that that kind of idea of we've in our enlightenment ways of thinking decided that we need to be so certain because if we're not, we're probably going to hell, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like that I don't think is how things were supposed to work, you know? I,
0: well, uncertainty, that's such a good conversation too. I'll recommend a book at the end of our time here, but it's not that we're not just that we're we're afraid we're going to hell. But certainty allows us to survive in this life. Mm-hmm. It allows us to survive in our mind space. If we're constantly, work, I mean, ask any existentialist what, what happens right. when you start doubting everything. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> some we of them in go a, insane. We live in a very
1: uncertain existence. Like, yeah, every, like doesn't the, the richest person alive, Mister Let Them Eat Space himself, could wake up tomorrow with incurable cancer and? None of his money would would save him, you know? Yeah. um, so I mean, we live in a very certain uh, uncertain existence. And so it makes sense why we want this to be certain because it certainty gives us security., yeah. and I, I think we've made a safe Jesus, and Jesus was never safe. I mean, look at what happened to Jesus? But anyway,
0: yeah, right, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that got too much for some of you folks out there. Um, but it is an interesting question. Of the role doctrine has, um, and I'll say it again. Maybe it's not that we need doctrine, um, but it's when doctrine is needed. Uh, in other words, that uh, in those moments of our faith, it becomes a tool for us to really talk about who Jesus is instead of defining us mm. and our relationship to Jesus. and, our life of faith. Mm -hmm. Um, all of that, if, if doctrine is what we need, then those questions and those burdens become real for us all the time. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that through this conversation that at least what I'm getting from it is maybe I can be freed from those burdens and live more properly. Uh, That's probably the poor word, live more freely, live more, um, sacrificially Mm -hmm. with other people and for other people
1: imagine that yeah and i'm not making fun of you i really mean imagine that right like what might that be like um i'm gonna have to imagine on that for a while because it's pretty different um it's not something i've experienced a lot of or done a lot of myself probably and so i hope that this conversation Whether you agree with us or not, or whether you think we're full of shit or whether, you know, whatever it is, I hope that it can prompt you to have these kinds of questions for yourself. You know, I hope that uh, you can just see where that goes. I think that's, that's the thing we say a lot on here of like, it's okay not to know, but more than that, it's okay to explore. It's okay mm-hmm. to backtrack. It's okay to, you know, any of these things that you want, because, man, I've done some of that in my life, right? Like, okay, yeah. I'm going this way. This is the right way. Oh, shit, man. Let's go back the other way. Of course, people <laughs> who know me will tell you that that's kind of my existence with navigation in general, but that's a that's a separate thing. Um, yeah, but wherever you land on that question, or even if you don't choose to ask that question that way, that's fine too. But I hope it will you know, we hope it will make you think about it in a way that you haven't before. At least that's, I think that's one of our main goals here is you yeah. don't have to agree with us, although you can, you know, we, we would love it, it if you agree, yeah. but us. you don't have to, but you, you know, hopefully it'll make you think about it in a way that is right for the context you're in, which is not necessarily ours. So,
0: yeah. Well, and that's the nature of uh frontier discovery faith is mm-hmm. that Um, we're not discovering it and waiting for the right ideas to bubble up. No, as Ryan said, uh, the ideas, the doctrines, the life giving ideas and ways of living come in community as we talk to each other, as we hear from one another, as something I said, or Ryan said, you say to your friend and all of a sudden you come up with something new for you. That's just Mm -hmm. beautiful and amazing for your life of faith. And, and that's, that's the goal. The goal is to continue that conversation uh in this community of faith that we have.
1: Yeah. And I think this is the last thing I have to say about this. Um is that can you imagine, Nate, just for a minute, what if we had been taught to, you know, I want to say do doctrine, but what if this said what we the way we'd learned our theology had been like, right? Like uh the part of we started with the question and we just kind of ran around it in circles to see where it goes. And, you know, like that was very much not my experience in learning doctrine. And what if it had been, you know, like, I know. and I say that because we keep saying, imagine that a lot. Well, I'm trying to imagine what that might have been like and how that would have really changed my life and helped me. But, you know, can't change the past, but we can, you
0: know, we can change how we do things now. Yeah. And, and maybe to just piggyback on that, not certainly not to take over, but do that with your friends do that with your family if you have kids do that with your kids Mm -hmm. they need to know that they can think anything do anything just about anything (laughs) Don't go murdering people (laughs) yeah um they can they can be who they are let's say it like that Mm -hmm. and um they're still loved and for me that's where my imagination kicks in because what if we actually taught things the way that you said that actually models who God is? Like, that's the huge thing, the the undercurrent of all this that, again, we don't have time to go into. But we were taught to be this kind of pastor because people believed that was the kind of God we had. Mm-hmm. And so what we were actually taught was who God is in the midst of this whole conversation of doctrine. If we change that... Could could you imagine that's that floors me because it's so unknowable Hmm. to imagine a God or imagine a world where they believe that kind of God that I think is in the scriptures, but that kind of God that loves and allows for conversation.
1: Well, I think about I think this is sort of a kid type metaphor, but I think it's a good one. I I like it because sometimes I think we dismiss kid stuff and we we miss the Like I said, we missed the profundity because it's simple. Anyway, um, the way I was taught to do theology, and I think yours too, or the way I was taught to formulate or believe in doctrine was created for me a God who was a overbearing, um, you know, the type of boss who is a micromanager, who is just the worst. And (laughs) what we've been doing today, in my mind, creates a God that is more of an adventurer with me, you know, like that, mm. like it fits with our frontier thing. Sure. Yeah. But I, I just more mean of like, we've got a map and there are some things on there and let's go see what's there. You know, yeah. we might even find some treasure, right? Like I know that's kind <laughs> of, uh, basic in a sense, but I, I really like that picture of, um, yeah. You know we get our cheap safari hats on and like i like remember when you were a kid and you used to like dig for dinosaur bones in the backyard or something even though did you know there are no dinosaur bones in brantford ontario in my backyard well oh, there are kid? at least oh, if they no. were there and i never found them but that that feeling that you could find something like that and like your whole yeah. afternoon is taken up to just digging a damn hole in your backyard because it's <laughs> right, exciting Yeah. What if our faith was like that? That's that's what yeah. I that's what I like about this approach. Is it creates a God who's who's there with me instead of a God who's you know micromanaged my every minute of every day.
0: Yeah, I love that. Would you mind sharing that book again that you talked yeah, about the it's certainty book? Called
1: the sin of certainty, and the author is Pete ends E N N S. I think. Well, yeah, I think I, I might have recommended it before, but.
0: I think you have, yeah, but it's good. But it it's fits good to... with what we're
1: talking about. And I read it. I, you know, sometimes I uh, I don't usually recommend things I haven't read, but I have read this one and it was well worth it.
0: <laughs> I want to also recommend a book. Um, and I've mentioned this guy quite a bit. I've mentioned this book. I actually haven't named it. I've just referred to it. The guy's Peter Rollins, mm-hmm. and he has a book called The Idolatry of God. Uh, The subtitle is Breaking Our Addiction to Certainty and Satisfaction. Well,
1: there's a title made
0: to sell books. That was
1: the one I said, though.
0: It's a little thick, but it's not not terribly hard to get through. Um, But a phenomenal book about what we do with certainty, how we hold on to that. And of course, the subtitle with uh, certainty brings satisfaction um, and how we break that. I just can't recommend that enough. The best book by him is Insurrection. I love that one, but this is really good for what we talked about today. Um, so if you're listening and you want to read more, uh, go check those books out because, yeah. you know, frankly, I don't hear a lot of people talking about this sort of stuff. The 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 way I found out about Peter Rollins was Homebrewed Christianity with uh, Trip Fuller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's the only other place I've heard people talk in this meta category of certainty and enlightenment th- theology. Um, so anyway, uh, check that out when you can.
1: Yeah, those two books are kind of on like I'd say the one I said is more uh, basic, but not in the sense of like dumb. I just mean it's a little probably a little more accessible. Um, but for Definitely. some, you might. Uh, want more, like I haven't read the one that you talked about, but um, I think but what know I what know I of like him to read. well yeah, what <laughs> I know of him though is he's not like uh, impossible to read or you, he's not one of those people where you read it and every page you're like what are we talking about, but he is a little more difficult um, Yeah, but that's okay because different people want different things, so you yeah. can read one of them or both of them or I mean you can read none of them, I'm not gonna like get upset with you, disappointed but not upset um, no, <laughs> <I'm> kidding <laughs> <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm a, I'm disappointed. Anyway, um, Yeah. Anything else to say on this night?
0: No, I don't think so. Okay.
1: We're we're we've exhausted the topic. We've figured out doctrine um, yeah. by not figuring it out, by insisting upon the fact that we can't figure it out. We have figured it out. So anyway, I hope that uh, what we've talked about here today is helpful to you. Um, even if you, like we said earlier, end up somewhere radically different than us. And let us know about it. If it's somewhere different, if it's similar, if it's, you know, somewhere in the middle, send us an email, uh, frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear what you think about this or anything else. And if you could rate us on whatever app you use to get your podcast, like a good rating, that would be great because it would just help other people see what we're doing here.
0: And I want to interrupt here for a second because somebody wrote us at the beginning of July, and I haven't shared that. So I wanted to give a shout out to Andrew, who sent us an email. I'm really sorry that we haven't sent you back one. Um, it, it shows my character of not being, not my character, good grief. Yeah. My- <laughs> Easy there, killer <laughs> it shows you
1: busy is what it shows. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh.
0: But he says, um, I just wanted to say thanks for the podcast. I've listened to a few episodes, especially the ones in interviewing Sarah and the one with Ryan talking about his life. Really appreciate it. Hopefully I'll get to listen to some more soon. And then he mentions our alma mater and he says, he's glad for it that he brought us to get that. It brought us but
1: together. I thought we were being so circumspect and careful. I about know. Where, right? How did he ever figure it out? <laughs> um, but thanks, Andrew. That's, that's great. You know, if you have yeah. time and can write us a review, that'd be great too. Um, that also really helps us. Um, and, uh, yeah,
0: well, it helps us so that people can see us whereas those kinds of emails help us feel good about ourselves for a few minutes until right. we think about how shitty we are in the next.
1: Man this is quite the way to end the episode Nate. I Do know you guys right you need to talk about afterwards are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think maybe Nate needs to hear this more than anybody else but I have to say it's okay <laughs> and it's gonna be okay and God will take care of you and us.